The word of God for our consideration is from Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and you'll find that on page 961 in the Pew Bible. And Steve reminded you about the Milford Bible app. You know how to find that, and that's good. Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. How would you finish this question? How are you dealing with What? Disappointment? How are you dealing with COVID? How are you dealing with sickness? Or how are you dealing with loss? We're all dealing with something or some things, aren't we? This morning in our worship songs and also in our scriptures, we are painfully reminded of something that we're all dealing with or should be dealing with. In those songs and in the scriptures, we heard reference to temptation and also references to Satan or the devil. This morning, as we look at the gospel reading from Matthew, we take a look at Jesus and how he dealt with the temptations that came through Satan. And we want to see what does that mean for us? Was that something that only Jesus went through and why he went through it? And is there something that we can apply to our own lives? The text begins with these words, then, 
And that's a little word we shouldn't skip over because it reminds us that something happened before this incident of Jesus' temptation. And what was that? A very special event also in Jesus' life. We read of Jesus being baptized in the Jordan by his cousin John. And then this marvelous experience of seeing the heavens opened. The Holy Spirit coming down visibly in the form of a dove and remaining on him. We'd like to have a video of that. It's fantastic. And then the voice from heaven, the voice of the Father who said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So in chapter 3, we see that the heavens were opened and some amazing things happened to our Lord and Savior. But now in chapter 4, it seems like hell is opened. We read that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. What a contrast. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased, and now the desert, the wilderness, Satan, and temptation. And there were three of these, at least. These are recorded in Scripture, but we read that Jesus was in that desert experience at least 40 days and 40 nights as a prelude to these temptations as recorded. Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. This was not some kind of diet. This was a spiritual experience in order to be more in tune with God. How would you survive 40 days and 40 nights of fasting? It's hard to imagine, but somehow he was sustained as this beloved son of God. But then we read that after this time of fasting, he was hungry, reminding us that Jesus, yes, true God, but also truly human, he suffered the pangs of real hunger. And so before him was a question, what do I do about this? And then Satan came with this very practical suggestion. If you are the Son of God, if it's true what you just heard in the Jordan River not long ago, it's a very easy solution. Just command these stones to become loaves of bread. You know, Jesus, you can do it. In fact, Jesus, you would be doing something maybe a little bit similar during your ministry when you fed at least 5,000 people at one time and 4,000 on another occasion. What's the big deal? You can do it. The question is asked, was this a real temptation for Jesus? Wasn't he, as the Son of God, immune from 
falling into temptation? These are very deep questions. And we're into an area that is a mystery, finally. But we read in the scriptures that, in the book of Hebrews, that Jesus suffered being tempted. And now what was he to do? What was he to do with this very practical suggestion of the enemy? He didn't say to Satan, you know, that, that sounds like a, not a bad idea. I can take care of it this way. But no, Jesus said, it is written. His defense from the enemy's suggestion was the written, inspired, inerrant word of God. And he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Where did that come from? Well, Jesus knew his scriptures. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It refers to an incident of which Moses reminded the people of Israel how God took care of their need for physical bread. We read in Deuteronomy 8, Moses' words to his rebellious people, Israel, that God had humbled them and made them know that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God's solution at that time for the people of Israel was a miracle. Do you remember what it was? Hello. Starts with M. <laughs> In Hebrew, it means, what is this? It's manna. God provided in his way and in his time the needs of his people. And as Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil, God would take care of that need of his beloved son in his way and in his time. No thanks, Satan. Not interested in your wisdom. And so it was. Jesus won the first round. But there would be more rounds to come. And the second one is really very hard for us to imagine. The devil, we are told, took Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem. And there on this top of the temple, there was kind of a porch. Looking down was an abyss of about 430 feet. Now, how do we imagine Jesus being transported by the devil to this pinnacle of the temple? Again, I think it's beyond our understanding. I cannot figure it out. I can't even imagine. But we read it in the Word of God, so it's true however it happened. And now the devil says, okay, Jesus, you know your Bible? Guess what? I do too. And here's my suggestion to you, if you are the Son of God, or since you are the Son of God. In the Greek language, and I know Tim knows this. Where is Tim? Okay. 
Okay, my, my glasses are still fogged up. Okay, Tim, I'm not going to give you a quiz this morning. But there are two little letters, E-I, which can be either translated if or since. And in either case, if the devil meant to say, if you are the son of God, or since you are the son of God, the innuendo is the same. The devil would say, I doubt it. And Jesus, if you doubt it, here's what to do. Throw yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple and especially, you know, have a crowd down there before you do it. And if you can leap off the, tim- the pinnacle of the temple and land unscathed on the pavement 430 feet below, wouldn't this be quite a show for the people? And wouldn't they acclaim you to be, wow, you're something else, Jesus. Maybe we should follow you. The devil quoted a scripture, well, partially, when he said, it's written in the word of God. He will give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they will bear you up, lest you cast strike your foot against a stone. Well, if you read that text of Psalm 91 carefully, you know that Satan left, left something out. He will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, in the ways that God prescribes for you to live. And certainly throwing yourself in danger to force God's hand to do something is rather stupid. The devil didn't count on Jesus knowing that suggestion was absolutely stupid and wrong. You see, Jesus came to be our Savior, not to save us by his wonders or his divine tricks. Not by his wonders, but by his wounds. With his stripes, we are healed, Isaiah reminds us. Again, Jesus countered with a scripture. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, Jesus, full of the scripture, goes back to the Old Testament where Moses reminded his people how they had complained and tested God when when there was a lack of water. They complained to Moses. They murmured against God. And they said, is the Lord here or not? What a question. They put the Lord to the test. And so Jesus responds with the same words. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus won round two. But there was a round three. Again, beyond our comprehension, we read that the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain. What's the highest mountain you've ever been on? Anybody? Mount Everest? Anybody? Pikes Peak. Peak. Linda and I were there a couple years ago. But how can you 
view all the kingdoms of the world from even the highest mountain beyond our understanding. However it happened, it happened. God's Word says it, that settles it. But from this vantage point of however it happened, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And wasn't this the object of salvation to have all the kingdoms of the world be under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And now the devil had a, had a suggestion. Jesus, the way that this whole salvation thing has been planned and how you're supposed to work it out, that's way too hard. There's a much easier way. Let me suggest it to you. All this I will give you if you will but fall down and worship me. It won't take long. Nobody else will see it. And all the kingdoms of the world will be yours. Again, Jesus, filled with the word of God, responded. Now, there's a little bit of a difficulty finding an exact quote in the Old Testament when Jesus said, Be gone, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. It seems that Jesus took pieces of different scriptures from the Old Testament and put this truth together. But still, it is the written word of God. You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Be gone, Satan, because it is written. And showing the power of Jesus, when Jesus said, Be gone, Satan, Satan had no choice. The devil left him. But as we're reminded in some of the, in a parable, in a parallel account, I believe in Mark, the devil left him for a time. You see, all through Jesus' life, this satanic suggestion and innuendo kept popping up, even in the words of his own disciple, Peter. Do you remember when Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer and die? What did Peter say? No way, Lord. This will never happen to you. And what did Jesus say? No, no, Pete, you're wrong. No, he said, be gone, Satan. He recognized in the words of Peter that satanic suggestion that there's another way, Jesus, that you can do it. And even on the cross, remember how the enemies of Jesus taunted him with these words that Jesus heard at his baptism when they said, if, if, or since you are the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe in you. The same satanic suggestion, Lord, there's another way to accomplish what you have been sent to do. Okay, that's round three. Jesus won. Praise God. But now, what does that have to do with, with us today? 
I've given you a little page two of application if you want to take a look at it or just listen. One of the things that we want to underline here is what the victory of Jesus over this temptation meant for our salvation. I'm sure if you're a Christian, you confess this truth. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and as the Holy Spirit has given me faith in Jesus who died in my place, I'm forgiven, I'm redeemed. Is that true? Of course it is. It is written. That's how God did it. And not to get into all kinds of theological jargon, but when we speak of salvation, there are two aspects to it. We speak of Jesus' passive obedience. That means what Jesus allowed himself to, to suffer, to be captured, to be tried, to be brutally beaten and to be crucified. He allowed that to happen, that our sins could be washed away. That's his passive obedience. But also, we are redeemed by Jesus' active obedience. And that simply means what he all did, what we never could do, keeping the law perfectly. handling these temptations of Satan perfectly. That's what we call his active obedience, what he did to undo what Adam did, what Israel did. Jesus undid by his sinless life for us. Secondly, in times of temptation, the counsel would be don't go at alone. We have a beautiful verse from Hebrews. Because he, Jesus, himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. And also in another place in Hebrews 4, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. How comforting it is to have somebody who knows what we go through. Some years ago, after the Lord delivered me from my love of Paul Malls, I was, I was led to become a smoking cessation person with American Lung. And I held a number of clinics to help people to overcome this nasty addiction. And part of my, my clinic was to have a panel of ex-smokers, people who had gone through the quitting process and who were there to encourage those who were going through the withdrawal of this addiction. They knew what it was to go through quitting. And sometimes they were brutally honest. I remember one clinic I had at a Ford uh, dealership, and there was a group of, I think, four elderly ladies. I'm not going to give the age. You can figure out what elderly is. 
And my panel was a group of young people, young guys, who did not take the course How to Win Friends and Influence People. I remember the one young fellow said to this group of ladies, he said, I hate to tell you this, but you stink. Ouch is right. But the fact is that these were people who suffered and could sympathize. Maybe they could have been more tactful, but it helps to have somebody who knows what it means to go through what we go through. And so Hebrews reminds us that this Jesus, the sinless Son of God, he went through, he knows what we go through in temptation. And therefore, he is able to help in our times of testing. Point number four, and I thank Evan, I think either Evan or Steve in the prayer before referred to the armor of God. Uh, it's a beautiful truth that St. Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 6. And we don't have the time to go through all the armor pieces this morning, but especially when it relates to the temptations of Satan. Please listen to these words. Put on the whole armor of God. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. We know who that is. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is the gift of faith by which we know that we are members of God's adopted family. And in that faith, we find strength to extinguish those flaming darts. And we all know the darts that he can throw at us. And the, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, remember how Jesus handled it. Not, well, I, I wonder, or what does the latest guru say about how to handle this? He said, it is written. And that's also our sword of the Spirit. Be encouraged to keep the memorizing of Scripture as part of your daily routine. Linda and I have tried to do that. We are not always successful after our prayer after breakfast, but three-by-five card, reference, word, reference. What you have in your memory bank, nobody can take away. If you have that sword of the Spirit in your heart, it can also be used as your, your defense against the, the attacks of Satan. And then the promising words of the Lord in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. The way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Again, the spirit the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the presence of the risen Christ with you and within you. He knows what you're going through. He'll give you strength. Point number six. My old friend Martin Luther, 
Well, I haven't met him yet, but I like much of what he says. One of his words of wisdom regarding temptation, you can't stop the birds from flying overhead, but you can prevent them from building nests in your hair. And what a picture of what we need to do in times of testing. As we heard in a prayer before, we don't flirt with temptation. Remember what happened to David when he did. When he walked around the top of his castle and looked down and Bathsheba forgot to pull the shower curtain. And he flirted with it. He could have said, whoops, okay, that's not, that's not right. But he let that temptation build nests when it could have been avoided. And so we thank the Lord today for what he went through, not, for, not only for himself to show that he is truly the Son of God, but also what he went through for us and for our salvation. And how in times of testing, he is there. The Lord is there. I'd like to close with some ancient words of a hymn that I remember from a very ancient hymnal. I walk in danger all the way. The thought shall never leave me that Satan who has marked his prey is plotting to deceive me. This foe with hidden snares may seize me unawares if I forget to watch and pray. I walk in danger all the way. But then, I walk with Jesus all the way. His guidance never fails me. Within his wounds, I find a stay when Satan's power assails me. And by his footsteps led, my path I safely tread. In spite of ills that threaten me, I walk with Jesus all the way. May God give you strength, peace, and victory for the sake of him who died and rose again, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.